it's really fantastic to be here. We count it a real privilege to be amongst you, to be asked to come and speak. Um, Richard and Judith, we consider friends that we just aspire to be like in many ways. Um, they, uh, we love their friendship, their support, their encouragement, but also are inspired by them as leaders. And we as a church are inspired by you as a church and consider it to be a real privilege to be sort of partners in the gospel together for this city and beyond. And um, so it's a thrill to be able to just come and share with you this morning. Um, I trust you are aware that you're in a series on foundations. I think whatever community you're in, you're thinking about the foundations. And so um, I want to talk this morning about um, a very, very basic foundation. Jesus tells a story about foundations. And the heart of it is very simple. And let's just start there, because simple is good in my mind. Um, the heart of it is that really, if our faith is going to be alive and living and growing and solid, then it involves listening to what is said. But not just listening. Let me read to you what Jesus said. This is at the end of the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, which finishes, as you would expect, with this amazing conclusion. What a way to conclude. Jesus says, therefore, everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I think this is the most amazing conclusion to the most amazing sermon, because if you can picture being there, and you're like, wow, all this incredible teaching that Jesus has given on the Sermon on the Mount, such great ethics, such incredible wisdom, it's fantastic. And Jesus goes, okay, it's all very well you being here, but now the question is, what are you going to do about it? Because the wise man is just like the foolish man in this story. They each were there. They heard his words. It wasn't that one heard and one didn't. They both heard. The question was, one put them into practice and one didn't. Wise and foolish builders. Which are you? Just, I mean, I have to say, being here on a Sunday morning is a great thing to do. Well done, fantastic. And actually, in many ways, what you're doing is you're putting into practice something of what the Bible says. Is, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more to see the day approaching. So you're putting something into practice. Now, this morning, the question is, you could sit there and go, oh, I wonder what the sermon's going to be like. And, you know, you're welcome to go away and, and mark me out of 10 and everything else. And, um, but to be honest... Whether I'm good or bad, that is not really the issue. The issue is what you do with what you hear. 
Here's the thing. If all you do is believe and you never step out and practice what you believe, you are setting yourself up for a crisis of faith because you're not building on solid foundations. And one day, you will need it when the storms come and it won't be there. I had the privilege of growing up in a family who went to church. My mum and dad went to church and I went with them. But the privilege was not so much that I went, I grew up with parents who went to church. The privilege was that I grew up with parents whose faith I saw affecting every day of their lives. I remember from being a very, very small child when I could hardly walk and, well, probably a bit more than walk, but because I, I ran. But I, I ran into their room and um, into their, their bedroom and there I see my dad just quietly, not, not expecting anyone to come in, on his knees beside his bed, seeking God. And as a very small child, I compute. This isn't just a public thing. This is something that is affecting his life that's personal and real. And I watched, as I got older, I watched them processing how they were going to live their lives through the lens of faith and the values of the kingdom. And I saw it affecting every choice they made and what they did. I saw real faith. Four and a half years ago, my mum, out of the blue, we'd seen her two or three days ago, two or three days before, was full of life, and then she had a heart attack, collapsed, and died. <coughs> my dad and her were amazing companions to each other. Wow. Suddenly, there was a question. Where was my dad's faith at this point? And I've had the privilege of watching my dad flourish in these last four and a half years. He's not found it easy. It's not like he hasn't missed my mum every day. He's not like he hasn't felt the gap. But do you know what? I've seen the reality of his faith because this wasn't a faith that was built on sand. It was built on rock. Because he didn't just go to church. He didn't just listen to a whole lot of sermons. He didn't just fill a whole lot of notebooks. He put into practice what he heard. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter, says a whole lot about this. He makes it pretty simple and pretty clear at one point, where he says in James 2.17, Faith, by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And the truth is, there will be people in this room, there will be people watching online, who have a faith, but it's not alive. It's more like a religion or a superstition. And if your faith is dying, it's probably because it's not affecting every part of your life and relationships. Somehow you've put your faith, you've put Jesus and the things he says, the word of God, into a box. 
It can just have this little bit of my life. It can touch this bit. You've begun to build on sand, not on rock. One of the people who probably most inspires me in terms of watching them be just utterly committed to doing what Jesus says um, is a woman um, from North Wales. Before we moved to Manchester, um, we led planted a church in Carnarvon in North Wales, and um, Brenda was part of that church. In fact, she and her husband Paul took on the leadership of the church when we moved here. When we planted the church, Brenda had only been a Christian for about a year, and I got to know her a few weeks after she first became a Christian. And um, she'd been to a Louis Palau meeting in Wales, and, um, and she'd heard the gospel. She understood that Jesus died for her. She was gripped by who Jesus was, and she went and stood at the front. And Paul, her husband, hated it. Didn't like it at all. But he thought it would just be a phase, and it would pass. Then, Brenda talked with someone else and realised that actually it was important for her to be part of a church community, and that she needed to begin to take the opportunity to go to church on a Sunday. Paul hated that even more. Couldn't stand it. In fact, so much so, he never followed this through, but so much so, he looked for explosives. Or he explored how he could get hold of some explosives to blow up the church. He thought that somehow if he could blow the building up, that would put things to an end. Obviously, it wouldn't have done. He never followed that through, and he's always been a bit embarrassed about me telling that story. But, um, <laughs> but that is the truth. He was so anti. And a few months later, it reached that moment of, of sort of decision, really, because Brenda realised that the next step for her, having become a Christian, I'm having these conversations with the water. There's someone wanting to pass that to me. Thank you very much. I can see that. No, that's lovely. Thank you. Um, and um, I can't even open it. It's fine. Um, so... Thank you, Coffee. Um, Brenda, Brenda realised that the next step for her was to get baptised. Well, this, from Paul's point of view, was the final straw. He goes, no, no, you can't get baptised. If you get baptised, I'm going to divorce you. And um, Brenda says, Paul, you know that I love you. But the truth is that I've made a decision to follow Jesus. And he is asking me to be baptised. And so I know that I need to get baptised. And Paul said, well, if you do, I'll be at the solicitors the next day. Brenda went through with it. And on the Sunday, she was going to get baptised on the Sunday evening. Paul was utterly mad, in a foul mood apparently. And his son went to him and said, if you're not going to go and support her on this night, I'll go. And it shamed him into going. So he went... And he sat in the service, and he says he sat with his arms folded like that and just looked fierce the whole way through. And then he can't remember anything being said, but there was an appeal made at the end. And he found his hand going up and responding to Jesus. And I have had the privilege of walking with them now for the last 30 years and seeing the life of Jesus in both of them. But do you know what? Had Brenda just sort of gone, oh, no, I won't do that. I'll just, I'll just compromise to keep you happy. I don't think Paul would have ever turned to Jesus. It was, he saw this wasn't just some fad. This wasn't just some public thing. This was real. Brenda was serious about doing what Jesus said. And they became serious about doing what Jesus said for the last 30 years. 
The truth is, we, you are a church family, we are a church family. And I feel an incredible, when, when we dedicate kids, I don't know whether you do this, but when we dedicate kids, we often say, we use this old phrase, it says, you know, it takes a, a village to raise a family. And we sometimes quote that and just say, you know, so it's all of us, and we've all got our part to play. We're a family and we want to cheer them on and support them. But it's not so much just cheering on and supporting the parents. Young people and kids are watching you. And what they see, they will see through hypocrisy. They will see people that just turn up at a church service, but really are not putting into practice what Jesus is saying. But they'll also see when it's real. They will see when actually you are utterly serious about doing what Jesus says. And they'll see the reality of your faith and that will have an impact. I want to encourage you as a church family to think about your responsibility, not just for yourself, but actually for those younger ones that are growing up. Don't let them just see something that's just superstitious and religious. Let them see reality. People who are utterly committed. Jesus, what you say in your word. Jesus, whatever you say to me, I am ready to do. It's the foundations for life. And it's the most amazing foundation for any church family. Amen. The disciples were spending time with Jesus and having to recalibrate the way they lived their lives all the time. They're watching him, they're listening to him, and then they're putting into practice what the way they, and they're trying to sort of follow his example and do the things that he teaches them to do. Jesus appears to them when they've been fishing. And um, they've been fishing all night, not caught anything. And Jesus says, put your nets down. Now, by this point, they are already washing their nets. Now, if, if, if you're like me, if you've, if you've done something, you don't want to just mess it up again very quickly. You know, I, I, Emma will, will laugh if I say this because I hardly ever do it. If I was, if I was um, washing the inside of my car, and yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> if I was washing and hoovering and getting it all nice and clean, if I'd just done that, and they said, oh, should we go to the beach? And, um, you know, and get all the sand in, and then you bring it all back in the car. I'd have been like, no, I don't want to do that. It's like, when you've done stuff, you don't want to just be, no, 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 I've just done all this work. They've washed their nets. So what's their response? Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And they let down the nets and suddenly there's this massive catch. Jesus, they watch him preaching, healing, delivering. And then he says, now you do it. Go, I'm giving you my authority. You go and do the same thing. They experience him at work. They go and do it just as he tells them to do. And they see the reality of Jesus working through them. And suddenly this faith is not just a theoretical thing. It's a real thing. And guess what's happening? Those foundations are getting stronger because they're acting on what he's saying and they're seeing him working and that rock-like foundation is being established in their lives. They're being set up for foundations for further ministry when Jesus is no longer around with them in person. And guess what? He's setting them up. You do what I do. You do what I say. You'll see me at work. This is real. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Come. 
Okay, Jesus has said it. And he gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on water. Now he began to sink, but you know what? That's not the issue. The issue is that he heard Jesus say something and he responded to it and Jesus loved it and he reached out to him and he pulled him up and he's setting up this whole journey that he's taking him on. There's foundations that are being laid for some of the future ministry of Peter for his life. This is preparing him. Their faith was growing all the time because it wasn't a passive thing. It was an active thing. And the truth is that faith grows when you don't just listen to what Jesus says, you live it. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. Is that what he said? You're looking, you know it's a trick question. You're right. <laughs> Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Absolutely. That's what he says, isn't it? That's the key. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's not just filling your head with more knowledge. Oh, yeah, just, just fill as many notebooks as you can and put them on your shelves. Have it all just so you know. That's not going to help you. When the storms come, having a whole shelf of notebooks of different sermons is not going to help you. What's going to help you is you go, this is what I've read, this is what I've listened to, this is what I've heard, and this is what I've done. That's why Jesus says, teach them to obey, to put into practice the things that I'm saying. James put it this way in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. It's so easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? It's so easy to get into some deception. Oh, I was there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. <gasps> wow, were you really? That must have changed your life forever. Well, it only changed your life if you put into practice. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So easy to deceive ourselves. And he follows this up with an illustration that we can probably all relate to. Because most of us, at different points, some for longer than others, but most of us will at certain points look in the mirror. Just, it might be a fleeting check, or it might be a long look. But you're, you're just checking anything that needs to be adjusted at all, you know, what, what needs to happen. And, um, you know, if there's a spot there, well, you do something with it, don't you? I won't ask you what you do with the spot, but you do something with the spot. If I've, if I've been sort of just doing a shave of my head, which is the stage I've reached now in my life, um, then if there's a couple of tufts there, I don't just look and go, oh, that's a shame, and walk off. No, 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 I have to get rid of those tufts, don't I? You, you look in the mirror, and Jesus, James uses this illustration. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. I have to say, as I've been reflecting on this over the last couple of weeks, um, I have found myself personally provoked and 
I guess just I'm so aware how easy it is to begin to get into that place of deception. I faithfully will do my devotions. I'll read my Bible. I'll faithfully be at church. I'll listen to the sermon. I'll take some notes. But as I've reflected on this, I realized, you know what? There have been times in my life, other times in my life, when my faith has been more alive and more living. And why? Probably because I've been more focused and more committed to building on that foundation, which is putting into practice what he says. Our faith is exciting and alive and real and reading the Bible and listening to serpents. It comes alive. It's dead exciting when you're trying to apply it. You go, what does this mean for me? What does this mean in the way I live today? What am I going to do about it? When it's just a head stuff, you're in real danger of getting into self-deception, religion, superstition. And Jesus has so much more for us than that. One of the times I would say my faith was most alive was when I was at university. And I arrived, and there was already a group that were doing this thing where they would meet, they'd have breakfast, they'd be one of the first, downs for bre- first group down for breakfast at half past seven, and they would share, there was a group of Christians, and they would share with one another um, what they'd read earlier in that morning. This is students, and, um, and what they were planning to do about it. And I just came into that. They said, do you want to join us? Well, it did two amazing things for me. One, it got me up even earlier so that I was reading my Bible and going, ah, I better have something to say. Um, and, but the culture was not just, oh, that's an interesting thought, shall we debate that? It was, okay, so, so that's what you're reading. What are you going to do about it? And then the following day, you'd go back and you'd have breakfast again and you'd share back a little bit what had gone on during that day, how you'd responded to the things God said and what you'd now read and what you were going to be doing. As I say, for me, it was a time I think I was growing. My foundations were getting stronger. I was experiencing real faith. And I loved it. It was good for me. First miracle Jesus did, John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. What happens? Well, Mary realises that they've run out of wine. And so she tells Jesus. Now, she doesn't tell him just for the sake of, oh, just out of interest. You know, they've run out of wine. But Jesus knows why she's telling him. He says, he says woman, why do you involve me? Funny phrase, isn't it? Woman. But anyway, it's, um, um, to your mum. Um, uh, why do you involve me? He knows she's getting him involved because she knows he has the answer that no one else does. She's concerned this is going to be incredibly embarrassing for the host. They're going to run out of wine. No, no, no. So what does she then do? She tells him and she just says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Simple. Just do whatever he tells you. Simple. Well, what does he tell them to do? Just draw a whole lot of basic water. Go and fill jars of water and draw it out and take it to the master. Really? To the master? Water? Just do whatever he tells you. They do what he says and they get to partake in the first miracle of Jesus' ministry because they just did whatever he said. Do whatever he tells you. Probably... um, the story 
that I, I often harp back to because it just provokes me. And um, some of you, if you were in USMM or something, I've probably told this in some context or another, but it was a friend of mine who led a church in Bristol and he told me about this guy, old guy who had faithfully served in the life of the church for many years, and, and it was going back years now, and um, the way he knew to best faithfully serve the church, he just knew he wanted to welcome people as best he could, and he stood at the door every single Sunday morning, and he was there giving out the hymn books, they didn't have any of that stuff, they just gave out the hymn books, and he welcomed people, and he felt that's what God had asked him to do, and for years he just did it. And then one day, a blind woman who was part of the church and who was always coming in, she came in again. She went and sat on the back row. When she sat down, he felt God say to him, I want you to go and lay your hands on her and I'm going to heal her. And apparently, he quietly put down the books and he walked across to her and he laid his hand on her shoulder and he said, my dear I've got a present for you from Jesus. And at that moment, her eyes opened. And she went mad and ran round this relatively traditional building going, whoa! And he quietly went back to giving out the books and doing what he'd always done. I don't know whether when that moment came... I would have just explained it away and said, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. I just give out the books. But actually, the way we prepare, the way we lay the foundations for moments like that, and it won't be just like that, but for those moments, is through practicing. It's through choosing a life of obedience in the small things and the big. And when you meet someone with big, bold faith, and when it's real faith, you can see it, can't you? You'll discover quickly that they've not just been listening to it. They've been living it. Moment by moment, day by day, year by year. How's your faith? What foundations are you laying at the moment? Is your faith coming alive and growing? Or is it dying? Does it need to come alive in a new way? If so, can I encourage you to make a fresh commitment to not just read the Bible but to act on it. To not just listen to a sermon, but to live it. In fact, if you sense him speaking to you in any way, whether it be through the Bible, or through a talk, or someone else, because often he speaks through other people, or through a prompting of the Holy Spirit, in Nike's words, Absolutely. And my prayer for myself, and my prayer for you as an individual, and my prayer for you as a church community, is that you wouldn't just be good at shouting a, a loud amen. You wouldn't just be good at writing some notes. 
But actually, you'd lay the foundation on the rock, you build on the rock by acting on, putting into practice what he says. I wonder um, if we could just take a moment to stand together as we finish. And whether you're in the room or whether actually you're watching online, I want to encourage you this morning. Please, please, please don't just go away and determine whether Andy was good or bad as a preacher. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you in some way? Has your faith Is it more alive than it's ever been? Or has it begun to die? If you know that actually it needs to come alive in a fresh way and you're ready to make a fresh commitment to not just listen, but to act, then I want to encourage you to be really serious and to make your response now. And if you're watching online, it's so easy to be passive and just to be doing the washing up at the same time. I encourage you to stop the washing up right now to make your own personal response to God. And I suggest, well, I'm going to respond to God myself personally. I know that I need to give myself to a fresh commitment to applying what he says. And if that's you as well, can I encourage you just to place your hand on your heart as a personal response. And I'm going to pray in a moment. But first of all, you talk to him in your own words. He's wanting to revive something and renew a whole number of us in this room this morning to bring something alive in a fresh way. Lord, thank you that in your amazing love, you speak to us. And Lord, you want us to be in this active, living relationship with you where you speak and we do. And I just want to pray that there would be anointing of the Holy Spirit that that washes across each and every one of us as we reach out to you now, as we bring our hearts to you and our lives to you. We ask, Lord God, that we wouldn't just get into a head thing, but Lord, you'd help us to live this out day by day. We pray you'd help us to, to embrace a fresh commitment to live for you, to apply everything you say to us. May faith come alive in many of us in this room and watching online, I pray, in a new way, Lord God. Lord, we don't want to build on sand. We want to be building on rock. And I pray that you'd help us as individuals to do that. And I pray you'd help King's Church Manchester to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.